let's get into the word today. Today we are in a series called More Like Jesus. It's a, it's a longer series than I'm used to doing. I like three or four weeks. That's just kind of how my brain works. Um, I can't really stay focused on a lot of stuff all the time, which this message today is really good for me uh, because I lose focus. Anybody else struggle with focus sometimes? Yes, yes, yes. Melissa, you are a doctor. I need you to be focused, okay? If I ever have to come to the hospital... I'm not asking for you. I'm going to give me somebody that's focused, um, somebody that's taking their medicine today. Um, and and so, so sometimes focus can be a problem. Sometimes focus can be a problem. As a matter of fact, there are times when I work better distracted, right? Like if I'm ever studying for a message, um, I will have music playing. I'll have a TV on. I need lots of things happening at the same time. And for whatever reason, I can focus better with a lot of distractions. That makes no sense whatsoever, but it's just kind of how I operate. You give me a lot of time and a lot of quiet, and I can't pay attention to anything. Um, And and so today, uh, this series is kind of long, but it's all about Jesus. It's leading us up to Easter, which is happening in the middle of next month. And, um, and when we're talking about Easter, one of the things I love to do every year before we get into Easter is just take time to talk about Jesus. Nothing else, not a lot of topics, just focus on Jesus and his life and how we can apply his life to ours. And, and um, so today we're talking about the fact that Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. The word faithful uh, means to be determined. It means to be focused. So whenever someone is faithful to do something, it means they're not distracted by anything else. They're focused on the goal at hand. They are faithful to that thing. And, and that's one of the things about Jesus is that he's faithful. As a matter of fact, we say this a lot in our church. Um, so if you're new here, you, you get used to hearing this. But in, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about having faith, it really means faithful. Like the word faith means fidelity. It it, it means faithfulness. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. So to to say that I have faith doesn't mean I believe in Jesus one time when I was 12 years old at at an altar somewhere and I shook a preacher's hand and now therefore magically I've got faith for the rest of my life. To say that I have faith means I am faithful. I'm faithful to God. I'm faithful to his word. It's an ongoing process. It's the difference between getting married, I mean, get, having a wedding and being married, right? I tell people when I do um, uh, premarital counseling, I said, most of the time in premarital counseling, you're not really listening to me that much because you're so focused on the wedding. But the wedding is a very small part of a marriage, right? The wedding is a celebration. The wedding is a consummation, but there's a whole lifetime after the wedding that's called marriage. And that part requires faithfulness. It requires work, right? It requires doing something, living with somebody, living out the vows that you profess. And so whenever we come to an altar or we raise our hand or we pray the prayer, we do whatever it is in your church or in your background that meant that you got saved. It's not just about that moment. It's about a lifetime after that moment. It's not just about the vows. It's about living those vows out. Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. So therefore, it's not a one-time thing. If I'm telling him he's my Lord, that means that I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. It's about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness. And we get that confused sometimes. We think it's a one-time thing. But, but really, anytime you see faithfulness, anytime you see believe, believe means to believe, but it means to go on believing. It's an ongoing process, right? 
And if you know this, you, you understand if you believe something, you'll live it out. Right? If you believe something, you'll live it out. One time, uh, my wife asked me last night, she said, please don't use me in your sermon today. And, and I wasn't going to. And then I just thought of this great story. So now I got to do it. And so, so one time when in the middle of the night we're, we're asleep and then um, all of a sudden the, the lights come on. And, and if you've ever been asleep and all of a sudden the lights come on, it's a very jarring experience. And so the lights come on and I feel Perry very rapidly crawling across the bed. And the bed's shaking. Oh, what is happening? And she jumps out of the bed and runs into the bathroom and turns on the light of the bathroom. And she begins to scream and yell at me that there is a snake in the lamp. And I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking... A, if there's a snake anywhere near me, I'm getting out of this bed. I'm about to start freaking out. And then I realize she is asleep. Now, her eyes are open, and she's running around the room, but she is asleep. And so she has had this dream, I guess, and she believed that there was a snake in the bed. And her actions showed her belief. She ran across the room. She's hiding in the bathroom. She's pointing at a lamp that absolutely has no snake in it. But she's pointing at it, telling me there's a snake in the lamp. And I told her, you're crazy. Get back in this bed. And and, and so finally, she kind of woke up and came to her senses and realized that there was no snake in the bed. For those of you that are married, have you ever had... I really am speaking to men here, not women. So men, have you ever had this experience where you, you wake up the next morning and your wife is mad at you? And you don't know what you've done in the middle of the night. But the problem is you didn't do anything in the middle of the night. She had a dream that you did something in the middle of the night. And now she's mad at you for the dream she had. She's mad at what you did in her brain that you did not do in real life. What's happening? Her belief is is dictating her actions. So when we say we believe in Christ, there should be some actions that follow that belief. Those actions are called faithfulness. But we live in a society that is faithless. We live in a society that makes it easy to give up, to, to, to get around something, to, to, to be derailed by something. In our society, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it. That's what our society says. And so we live in a society that's just very easy to quit and give up and get out. I was, I was in my study and I was, I was telling Anna and Jonathan before service today, I, I said when I was studying, I was trying to find a good story, like a good illustration of faithfulness, like something, you know, kind of funny and at the same time kind of impactful. And, and so as I'm kind of looking through some, some different stories, and, and I came across this one story, and, and I just wanted, I want to give you the story. I'll, I'll tell it to you. And so in the story, it's talking about this man who was, who was married, and, and, um, and he was talking about how he and his wife had kind of a rocky marriage. Like, things weren't always good. Sometimes things were, they, they had arguments, and they had some issues here and there. And, and he would go to work, and when he was at work, there was this real pretty um, secretary at, at his job. And, and so um, uh, all throughout their day, they would talk, and they were friendly, and they would laugh. And, and, and she kind of made time to see him, and he kind of made time to see her, just, just in the office, just in passing. But, but he says, you know, we were just friends, even though people at work thought we were having having an affair. We, we weren't having an affair. We were literally, we were just friends. And he said, he said, over the years, my marriage got rockier and rockier and things begin to begin to transpire that, that, that kind of spiraled out of control. And he said, eventually my wife and I got divorced. 
And he says in the story, he says, but at that same time, this girl had already moved off and gone to another job and I kind of lost track of her. And he said, he said, after my divorce, I started thinking, maybe I should have had an affair and ended my divorce, ended my marriage earlier. And I was shocked. I was like, wait, where's the funny part? Where's the joke? Where's the, the, the point here about faithfulness and how we need to be faithful in our marriage? And, and, and when I was reading, I thought he's going to talk about how he had a rocky marriage and he was tempted to, to have an affair. No, that wasn't the problem at all. As a matter of fact, he says, I probably should have had an affair. This is the society we live in. This is where people are nowadays. It wasn't a, an illustration written by somebody. This was someone's actual account of their life. But we live in a society that says, you know what, if things are rocky at home, maybe I should just have that affair. Maybe I should just end things. Maybe it'll be easier. Things aren't going well for you at work. I, I've talked to people about this before. Um, it, oftentimes they say every job, they're always at a new job every week. And every job, it's always somebody else's fault. Someone else did this. Someone else did that. The problem is we're not faithful to anything. And we don't see, we don't recognize that sometimes we're the problem, not the boss. If you go to five jobs and you have five bad bosses, chances are you're the problem, right? Why? Because you're the common denominator in all those places. Either A, you're something, something's wrong with you, or B, you don't know how to choose a good job. You choose all bad bosses. And, and so that's one of these ideas of faithfulness in our society doesn't have it. But Jesus, Jesus was always and still is faithful. He was always and still is faithful. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He was faithful. He was faithful to the word of God. The Bible talks time and time again how Jesus was faithful to God's word, how Jesus would, would quote God's word, and Jesus lived out God's word. And, and next week, actually, my dad's going to be preaching a message, and, and he's going to talk about how, he was, how Jesus used God's word. I'm going to pause for a second. Jax, she's right there. Jax said, where's my mom? Um, and so he was, he was faithful. He was faithful. It's okay. Um, I love it. Uh, I'm going to talk about distractions in a minute. Um, he was faithful. He was faithful to God's word. Uh, Jesus lived out God's word. I, I love the, I love the story. There's a story in the Bible. I'm not going to get into all the scriptures. There's a story in the Bible, um, where Jesus is walking down the road with two men and they're talking about all the prophecies and they're talking about all the prophets and they're talking about the old Testament. And the Bible says that Jesus began to walk them through the old Testament from Moses through the prophets and explain where he was in the old Testament to explain that he he was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. Jesus was faithful to God's word. And we, we live in a time and era now where we're not faithful to God's word. We pick and choose the pages we want to live out. And if there's something in God's word that rubs us the wrong way, we just kind of rip that page out and go on about our day. I've been I've been studying a lot of um, a lot of these uh, progressive uh, uh, Christians and this new movement called progressive Christianity. And I was I was telling some people earlier, I'm really sad because some of the people that are in this movement are people I've known from my past or people that I've followed. And and, and I was listening to one guy and he says he says this. Uh, he says, as I and I've said this before, maybe but he says, as I read the Old Testament, I begin to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you think about this scripture? And he says, and Jesus tells me, well, Brian, what do you think about the scripture? And if you don't like it, Brian, chances are it's not good. It's not up to us to determine the word of God. It's up to God to determine his word and it's up to us to follow it, even if we don't like what it says. Even if it goes against our desires or it goes against our traditions, we've got to follow God's word. Jesus was faithful to God's word. Jesus was faithful to his calling. 
Jesus was faithful to his calling. Jesus was constantly ministering to people over and over again. He was loving people. He was healing people. He was preaching to people. He was faithful to his purpose. Like sometimes I I think about what's the difference between a calling and a purpose. Sometimes a calling is what God's got you doing right now. Right? It's what God's got you doing right now. This is where God has me. And as long as he has me here, this is what I'm going to do. Calling is about my actions. This is what I've got to do while I'm here. But my purpose is more about what he's going to do through me later on. So Jesus understood the cross was coming. Right? But he didn't go around living saying, you know what, guys? I'm going to die soon. I can't talk to anybody. I got to get focused here. No, no, no. He was ministering up until the point that his purpose was fulfilled. So he was faithful to all those things. I was in a small group yesterday, and in my small group, one of the guys said, you know, our salvation isn't about what we say. It's about living it out every day. And that's how Jesus was. He was just faithful in everything that he did. And so I want to talk to you about being faithful. And I've got, um, I think, four different ways to help us be faithful in our lifetime. And I'm going to use Jesus as an example in these things. So, So the first way to help us be faithful is to set your eyes on the finish line. Set your eyes on the finish line. In Philippians chapter 3, it says this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. We set our eyes on the finish line and we press on. Paul says, he says, I'm not not letting anything distract me. I'm going to reach the end of the race. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says this, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses uh, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Look at this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. In other words, not only does he start off our faith, he perfects it. He helps us walk that faithfulness out. And it says this, it gives Jesus as the example of someone that had their eyes set forward, right? Eyes on the prize. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. The writer of Hebrews says this, it says, Jesus was not distracted by shame. He wasn't distracted by pain. He looked forward to the cross, but not just the cross. He looked past the cross at the joy that was waiting on him, at the future that that God had for him and for his people. So in other words, what, what the writer here of Hebrews is saying is, guys, we have to endure. We have to press on. How? By keeping our eyes focused on the end of the race. There was a there was a first time I ran a 5K. Um, Perry and I ran it together, and, and I remember the whole time we were running the 5K. It wasn't like super serious, so so we were just kind of running and talking and, and having a good time. And and I remember we came around this one corner, and as we came around the corner, you could see the finish line. You can see the finish line. And, and as you can see the finish line, you see like people sitting on the side of the road and you see blankets out and chairs out and they've got food out. You know how everything kind of piles up at the finish line of a race. And I remember coming around that corner and I was tired and I was, my knees were hurting and my ankles were hurting and my, you know, I didn't have a lot of breath. But I remember Perry saying, we got it because she's super competitive, like uber competitive, like, like annoyingly competitive. And, and like we even compete over Wordle now. I mean, like if you don't know Wordle, don't get started, but... 
Um, I beat her today. And so, um, anyways, so we were coming around the corner. And as we came around the corner, Perry was like, we got to go. We've got to sprint. And on the inside, I'm thinking, I don't want to sprint. Like, I've enjoyed this nice leisurely pace this whole time. And now we see the finish line and she kicks it into another gear. So I have to kick it into another gear. And so we are just flying. Like we're tearing up the pavement, trying to get to the finish line. There's something about having your eyes on the finish line that gets you into another gear. There's something about having your eyes on the finish line that keeps you away from distractions. I wanted to go sit on the blanket. I wanted to eat the banana that they were handing out. But I had to get to the finish line first, right? There's something about having your eyes on the prize that helps you push on and stay faithful. But we get distracted so easily. Like our world is, and I'm not saying this like, like about society. I'm just saying this in general. We're just very distracted people. We're very distracted people. The other day I'm driving and I'm, I stop my car and I kind of look in the rearview mirror. And as I look in the rearview mirror, I see two teenage girls in a car behind me. And both of them on their phones as they're driving. And I'm thinking, I'm about to get hit. I'm about to get hit, you know. And so I, I, I get out of there, the light change, they didn't hit me, the light changes and I'm driving off and I pick up my phone and I'm texting Perry, I almost got hit by two people on the phone. And um, it's, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where we can be very distracted, right? We can be very distracted people. Um, and, and so, so I want to just quickly talk about a couple of distractions um, that, that keep us from keeping our eyes on the prize. One thing we can be distracted by is our past. One thing we get real distracted by sometimes is our past. Whenever God's wanting to do something in your life and, and all you can focus on is, is on your past, on your past pain, on your past hurt. You don't understand what, what he did to me. You don't understand what, what they said to me. And, and, and so therefore we can't move forward because we're so stuck in the past. Sometimes we get stuck in the past when someone passes away. And, and I hate that. I, I know that's a hard thing. Grief is tough. Mourning is difficult. But, but if we're constantly holding on to the past, we're never going to be able to move forward. We're never going to be able to go and do all that God's got us to do. And, and Jesus said it like this. So we'll, we'll start quoting Jesus here. Jesus said in, in Luke 9, 62, no one, puts his hand, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying this at the end of a conversation he's having with some people that are saying, I want to be your follower, Jesus. And he says, okay, come follow me. They said, yeah, 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 but I got to go do something with my family. Or I got to go bury uh, somebody. Or, I got to go do this. And, and he says, listen, guys. As long as you're looking back, you can't plow straight. I've never had to actually plow anything before, um, but I have used a tiller before. And it's the same difference. And you want to make a straight line, but if you're looking around, that thing's going to get crooked on you real quick. And the same is true with our life in Christ and our faithfulness to Christ. Is this, if we're constantly looking at our past, we're never going to walk straight. I knew a little kid one time in church, and um, his name was Parker, and he was probably, I don't know, three, four years old. He was a little guy. And I remember uh, the church we were in was um, kind of the old barn style, you know, where it's real long and narrow, and, and we had pews um, instead of these chairs. And, and so I remember Parker would always just run up and down. You know little kids, how they do in church. They run up and down the aisles after church. But Parker had this weird thing that he did is as he ran, he would always watch his feet. He loved to see the bottom of his shoes, I think. And so he would run like this. And so it was always funny to watch him because he would get real close to a wall or real close to a door. And it wasn't quite as funny um, to him it was to me the day that he ran smack into a pew. I mean, head first into that pew. But he was watching those feet and then he was crying. He couldn't see anything for a while. The point is, if we're always looking back, we can't go forward. We're going to run into something. Don't be distracted. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't be distracted by what's behind you. Be focused on what's ahead of you. Another thing that distracts us sometimes is our own traditions. 
when I try to preach, uh, when I try to preach in here, sometimes we we have issues um, in preaching, because sometimes whenever I preach, I, I find what God's word says, and it goes against my own traditions. Sometimes God's word goes against what I was taught by men, not what I was taught from God's word. And so then I have to begin to alter what I think in my tradition to fit God's word. I can't make God's word fit my tradition. I've got to fit my traditions into God's. I've got, got to figure out what is God saying and change what I've been doing. And the same is true with you. There, there have been times when I've preached messages. And, and, and as I, a, a big one is anything about the Holy Spirit. Like anytime I talk about the Holy Spirit, I understand that some people have been raised in a church where anything about the Holy Spirit is bad. I don't understand how Holy Spirit could be bad. He's God. But whatever, people believe that. And then I got other people that take stuff about the Holy Spirit and they go way to the other end of the spectrum and they begin. He's not bad. Now he's weird. So we've got weird and we've got bad and the Holy Spirit is somewhere in the middle. And and so when I teach things about the Holy Spirit, I have to tell people, don't remember your traditions. Forget your traditions. Focus on God's word. Because what will happen is we can't move forward. What if God wants you to do something, but it goes against your tradition. And so therefore you never do it. And then you're never fulfilled in the purpose God has for you. And then and then check this out. If your tradition is, I don't tell people about Jesus. If your tradition is, I just, I just live a good life and hope other people see it. That's great. I mean, the Bible, that's, that's biblical. But, but if, what if God's saying, I need you to go talk to this person? What if, God, what if God's telling you I, need to go lay, you, I need you to go lay hands on this person and pray for their healing? And you're saying, that's not in my tradition. And my tradition says that, that we don't lay hands on the sick. Even though the Bible tells me to do it, my tradition says we don't do it. What if that was the one person that was going to get healed? And what if they were going to change the world? I can't allow my traditions to distract me from the prize, from the calling of God. Jesus said this. He's in this argument with religious leaders over washing hands of all things. Like, I feel bad for Jesus, right? Don't you? He's got big purposes. He's got big destinies. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's opening blinded eyes. He's finding people that are discouraged and in debt and and, and downcast. And he's raising them up. And he's doing all this big stuff. And then he's got these dumb religious preachers coming up to him saying, why don't your disciples wash their hands properly? Like, your disciples are very germy, Jesus. And we need to talk about this. Like, I feel bad for him, right? I feel bad for him. But he's not distracted. Instead, here's what he says. Verse, uh, this is Mark chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And then he said to them, you have a fine way of, a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Wow, that's bad. That's really bad. He says you have a fine way of rejecting God's word in order to establish a tradition in your life. I remember a a church, I'll say this story quickly, but I remember a church one time was mad at their pastor. And it's a little bitty church down in in South Alabama, um, 
And, and my pastor, where I was, had to step in and help navigate the argument in the church. But I remember the church was mad at their pastor, and they, they wanted their pastor to be fired, and they, they wanted a new pastor. And, um, and I'm thinking, okay, what did this guy do? Like, was he embezzling? Was he you know, sleeping with the secretary? Like, what, did the, what terrible thing did this guy do? And my pastor was like, the problem was is that the, the pastor didn't want the fake flowers on the piano and moved them off of the piano. And when he did, the church got mad and wanted to fire him. They had this tradition of those fake flowers being on that piano. Now, that's a silly story, but it's a true story. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We have traditions, and our traditions distract us from where God wants us to be. Sometimes we get distracted by our desires. And so James 1 tells us this. He says, temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I was... I was listening to um, to a guy that used to be a, a, a famous uh, pastor, and um, uh, I can't even think of the guy's name right now off the top of my head, but he had these videos that he put out for youth groups. And when I was a youth pastor, I would show these videos um, all the time, and, and they were really good videos, really solid stuff to help disciple my kids. And now, all of a sudden, this guy has stepped away from the faith. He's, he, he's not serving God anymore. He's, he's very anti that, actually. And, and one of the things he says, although he believes in God, he believes in Jesus, and, and um, he thinks everybody's going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe in something, you're going to make it there, you know. And, um, and so, one of the things he talks about is, he says that church, uh, churches or, or Christianity today tries to suppress our desires... Because we think desire is wrong. And he says, you should give in to your desires because God wants you to give in to all of your desires. Can I tell you how foolish that is? Desire, James says, desire will lead you into sin. Listen, I I have lots of desires, but it doesn't make any of them good, right? Right? We've got two tubs of ice cream in our refrigerator right now, and I have the desire to eat both of them. I'm not talking about over a period of a week. I mean, right now, like I could eat both tubs in right now. I would throw my guts up, right? It doesn't make it good just because you have a desire. Sometimes we have a desire for, for someone else. We have a desire for something else. And, and listen, it doesn't make it good. We don't give in to desire. Jesus says we shouldn't be distracted by desire. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says this. He says, the, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Jesus says you can't produce fruit if you're giving way to desires, right? And then Luke chapter 22, verses 42, here's Jesus about to die, right? He's about to go to the cross. He, he's, he's right there at the end. He's praying before he goes to the cross. And here's his prayer, or part of his prayer. He says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus says, I prefer your desires over my desires. I prefer your will over my want. And the way that we can keep focused is to not allow our desires to distract us. The, the next one is this. i got a couple more distractions real quick and I'll be done. We can't be distracted by our own fame. We can't be distracted by our own fame. Right now we're seeing um, big time preachers fall left and right because they got so famous and they felt like they could get away with anything. But listen, we can point fingers at preachers all day long, but at the end of the day, they're people, and we can do the same. Well, I am a preacher too, so I point fingers at myself. But we can all, you can all do the same exact thing. 
You can become famous in your circle. You can become famous at your job. You can allow your, your fame, your fame to get to your head and it can become a distraction from what God really wants to do. I love this story. John chapter six, right? John chapter six is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You've probably heard this story before. It's, it's fairly famous even um, outside of church. It's a famous story. But the story goes that Jesus had 5,000 men plus women and children. So it was more than 5,000, probably closer to 20,000. And they're all hungry and he doesn't want to send them away hungry. So he tells his disciples, let's feed these guys. The disciples are like, you're crazy, but you're Jesus. And they're like, we don't have enough food for this. Jesus says, how much food do you have? They said, well, Peter says, I just stole the lunch bag off this little kid. Legit, that's what happened. So he took this little kid's lunch. All he had was like, like a couple pieces of fish and a couple pieces of bread. And so Jesus says, that's good enough for me. He prays over it. He breaks it. And all of a sudden, as he begins to hand it out, it just begins to multiply. And he begins to feed 20,000 people with just a few loaves of fish. I mean, nope, that doesn't make sense. A few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. He feeds over 20,000 people. Amazing story, right? Incredible miracle. But here's the end of the story. This is the part that I think is even better. Here's what it says at the end. It says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, this is verse 14, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. Verse 15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Nowadays, if you get, if you get a thousand likes on YouTube, then all of a sudden you become famous. And it's all about you. And it's all about your kingdom. And it's all about what you're doing. And it's all about what you can, what you can provide. Jesus was like, they want me to be the king. They're going to force me into a position I'm not ready to be in right now. I'm going to just slip out. And I love the fact that he didn't even take his disciples. He left them too. He just slipped off all by himself. He didn't allow fame to distract him from his purpose. I was reading today in my Bible reading, and it was about Gideon and and Gideon's an Old Testament guy, but the Bible says Gideon did this, had this incredible victory, and it was all about God. I mean, God was there, and Gideon was leading the Israelites into battle, and, and he had all these people. And you need to go back and read the story. It's in Judges, like chapter 7, I think. And, and, and it's a really cool story about how God took away, stripped away all of Gideon's army until he was down to just 300 people. Like, this is the original 300, right? If you've ever seen 300. Anyways, he's, this is the original. 300 people. And then God uses the 300 people to have this huge victory. The problem was all the fame went to Gideon's head. Gideon goes in and he begins to tell people, oh, give me your gold. And he makes this shirt out of gold. I don't know why. It's weird. But he does it. And, and then the Bible says that the shirt made out of gold becomes a distraction to Gideon. And he gets so prideful that he forgets about God. And then the shirt becomes a, a place of distraction for the people. And they begin to worship the shirt. They begin to worship the shirt and not God. They didn't worship Gideon anymore. Now they're worshiping the shirt. It's weird, super weird story. And as I'm reading, I thought this is exactly where we are in America today. This is exactly where we are in Christianity today. That, that we don't worship Jesus anymore. We worship the worship leader. We don't worship Jesus anymore. We worship the music. We don't worship uh, Jesus anymore. We worship the pastor because the pastor has to be the celebrity. We don't worship the worship anymore. We worship the pastor's words, not his words. We've got to get away from fame. We've got to stay humble. Don't be distracted by fame. I need to hurry. 
we, we get distracted by our friends sometimes. I'm going to just throw this one in here. I'm going to try to be quick on this one. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that they must go to Jerusalem and that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's explaining to the disciples, here's what's going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem. They're going to take me. They're going to kill me, but I'm coming back. I'll be back, right? Peter took him aside. This is crazy to me. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Can you imagine rebuking the Messiah? Right? Peter has guts, man. No brains, but lots of guts. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I want you to notice something. Jesus says this, you're a stumbling block. You're a distraction. You're trying to trip me up from what God wants to do in my life. Then he says this, he says, you have the, the, um, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Listen, there are going to be friends in your life. And whenever you start making a decision to be faithful to Christ and you start making a decision to be faithful to his word and you start making a decision to be faithful to your calling, you're going to have friends in your life that are going to want to distract you. They're going to say, Hey, we want you just, why don't you come out with this anymore? Why don't you do this stuff with us anymore? And you're going to say, you know what? I'm, I'm being faithful to God's word and God's word says, I can't do those things that I used to do. I'm being faithful to God's calling. And if I go out and do the things that you want me to do and someone sees me, it's going to derail my calling because, because God's called me to raise up another generation. God's called me to be holy. God's called me to win the lost. And if I'm out with you, if I'm out with you doing that, it's going to derail what I got to do. And so I got to back off of that. I can't let you distract me. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says they're going to talk about you. They're going to hate you. They're going to, they're going to turn against you. But Jesus says, even my best buddy, Peter, you're not going to derail me, man. You can't distract me. I'm focused. I'm going somewhere. I'm doing something. And you can't stop me. Now, it doesn't mean that Peter never was Jesus' friend. Obviously, he came back. He becomes his friend. They love each other. Peter goes on to do great things for Christ. But Jesus couldn't even allow his best buddy to derail what God was doing in his life. The next, the next thing I want to talk about that, to help us stay faithful is to prioritize his purpose over your plans. Let me say that again. I've got it on the screen. Prioritize his purpose over your plans. Sometimes you and I have plans and a direction and things we want to do. But at the end of the day, it's got to be about God's purpose, not about our plans. I'll explain it to you like this. Um, there are, let me just read you a couple of things. Jesus gets interrupted a lot. Right. Like Jesus is trying to do something. He's got a plan and he gets interrupted. The, the Bible says in Mark chapter two that Jesus is trying to preach a sermon. This is the plan. The plan is I'm going to go to this house. I'm going to preach the gospel. But what happens is the story I told last week, four dudes show up with a guy on a mat who's paralyzed and they rip the roof open while he's preaching and lower him down right in the middle of the sermon. Just like I had a little kid come in in the middle of my sermon. Right. It's okay. It's fine. And, and, and my plan was to preach. It got a little interrupted, but it's good. We're back on track. Jesus, his plan got severe. Can you imagine while I'm preaching, if someone just broke the roof open and a crippled guy just fell down in the bottom? 
Well, first of all, our ceilings are taller, so he wouldn't be crippled. He'd be dead, right? And so we'd really have to pray for him. And, and so, so he just he gets lowered down. But listen, it didn't derail Jesus, right? He got interrupted, but he understood my plans are not as important as his will and his purpose. And his purpose is for this guy to get saved, for this guy to get healed. And he immediately tells the guy, your sins are forgiven, and then heals him of, his, uh, of being crippled. So, so just because he got interrupted, his plans got interrupted, it didn't stop God's purpose. In Mark chapter 5, the Bible says that Jesus, I'm staying in Mark for a minute. The Bible says that Jesus is trying to go heal a dying girl. The father comes up to him and says, hey, my daughter is dying. I need you to come heal her. Jesus is like, cool, let's go. And they take off to go heal the dying girl. And then all of a sudden, some woman comes up behind Jesus and grabs, his, grabs the bottom of his, uh, of his outfit, his, his, his robe or whatever. And whenever she grabs him, she gets healed. Jesus stops what he's doing, begins to talk to this lady. She's had an, a, a blood issue for 12 years. Jesus heals this woman, talks to her, has a good conversation. He's being distracted. In the meantime, the little girl he's supposed to be praying for dies. And they come up and they say, the people come from the house and they say, hey man, you waited too long. Jesus is like, I don't care. I'll go heal her anyway. I'll raise her up from the dead. It's all good. What happened? Jesus could have very easily told that woman, hey, I've got a plan here. I'm going somewhere here. I need you to leave me alone. Stop grabbing my clothes, right? You ever had your kid come up and grab your stuff and you leave me alone? That's what Jesus could have done, but he didn't because he understood that God's will, God's purpose is bigger than his plan. There's another one in Mark I like. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho to get there. And the Bible says that he's going to the final Passover. This is the final meal he's going to have before he goes to the cross. This is a big deal moment. And on his way, a blind man begins to yell and Jesus stops. And they're even telling the blind man, hey man, shut up. He's got something to do, right? Leave him alone. He's going somewhere. No, no, no. Jesus stops what he's doing, walks over to the blind man, heals the blind man. What am I trying to say? There's going to be times in your life when you're going to be distracted by people and you're going to think it's a distraction, but in in reality, it's just an interruption to your plan and it's part of God's will for your life. I was talking to Perry about this um, last night and she said, you know, there's times when I go to school early so that I can have some time to focus on, on my day and my plan and go into my room and get all my plans together without anybody bothering me before any kids are there or any teachers are there. And she says, it never fails. On the days I really need to get focused on what I'm doing, another teacher will walk in the room and sit down and begin to spill all of their problems. And she said, I used to get really upset and I used to get very like, just get out of here. You're ruining my plans and you're ruining my day. And she said, and then I realized that this was part of God's plan for my life. This is part of God's purpose, and his purpose is bigger than my plan. And so I minister to the people that come into my room. I minister to the interruptions and the distractions. There's another, there's another thing we need to remember to help us stay focused, and that is this, or stay faithful, and that is remember the law of seed time and harvest. Remember the law of seed time and harvest. Genesis chapter 8 establishes the law. This is a law that travels through all of the Bible. It says this in 8.22, As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, or seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Galatians 6, uh, 7 through 9 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. This is good for us. Don't get tired. In other words, he's saying be faithful. 
Be faithful even when you're tired. Be faithful even when you don't see anything. Be faithful. And at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. What we struggle with a lot of times is we struggle with wanting an immediate return. I want to eat good. I do not want to wait on the food to get cooked. So McDonald's is easy. It's instant. Right? I'm trying to be healthy. But I don't want to wait on the good stuff. I want an immediate return. We do the same thing spiritually. God, I'm trying to stay faithful and I'm trying to read your word. But you know what? I've read your word three times this week. I don't understand a word of it. I don't understand any of your word. And, and I'm trying to pray, but it's so hard to pray. And I just don't see any results. And, and you know, I, I gave my tithe last Sunday. And this week, a bill came due that was bigger than I can afford. And, and, and then my car got hit. And God, I don't see any immediate return. It's because we don't understand seed time and harvest. Just because you plant a seed doesn't mean you reap fruit the next day. Sometimes you got to plant that seed. You got to water the seed. You got to fertilize the soil. And then it takes months, sometimes years before you see anything. Perry has an aunt. You, I told, you told me not to preach about you and I've used you in every illustration so far. Perry has an aunt who grows uh, citrus fruit and all kinds of fruits at her house and mangoes and all kinds of things. And one of the things she told me was, I asked her one time, I said, how long does it take? Like from the time the tree is mature, how long does it take to actually get fruit? And she says, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's like three or four years sometimes. You'll see the tree and it's blooming and it's, it's got leaves and it's big and it's strong. And you think any day now a fruit's going to show up. She said, but sometimes it can be three to four years before you walk out there and see an actual orange on the tree. So you have to be faithful when you don't see results. You have to continue to be faithful to water and fertilize and grow what God's doing in your life. God may have given you a promise. Listen, there are promises that God put in my heart for this church that I still haven't seen yet. It doesn't mean I give up and I quit. I keep watering. I keep preaching. I keep trying to lead. I keep trying to love. Why? Because there's something out there. There's fruit out there that hasn't been produced. So we keep watering the seeds. I know Jesus sees everything. I know he's God. But think about this for a second. Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus saw Peter deny him three times. And the last thing Jesus says to Peter, like Peter repents of his sin um, of denying Christ. But then even then, he's still kind of struggling with some issues. And, and we won't go into it right now, but he's still kind of struggling. And then Jesus ends up leaving and go back to heaven. And Peter's still on, here on earth. So in the physical, if you're just thinking from a physical mindset, Jesus doesn't see the results of all the seed he sowed into Peter. He doesn't see the results of the watering and the fertilizing and all the planting that he did in Peter's life. Jesus doesn't get to physically see Peter preaching and 3,000 people giving their hearts to Jesus Christ. Sometimes the seed you sow, you may never see the harvest. But sometimes the seed you sow is for someone else to harvest. And that's got to be okay. You've got to remain faithful to sow the seed. We're going to end here with one last thought. As the guys come up, um, I always like to share the story. I just think it's funny. When I was a little kid, I thought that anytime you put a seed in the ground, it was going to grow, right? 
And so I loved apples when I was a little kid. I think I'm allergic to them now, which is weird, but I loved apples when I was a little kid. I ate apples all the time. And I remember getting the cores and taking all the seeds out of the cores and going in the front yard of our house in Bastrop, Louisiana, on Capella Street, whatever it was. And I would go in and I would bury the seeds in the front yard. Every day, every time I ate an apple, I'd go out there and bury seeds. And I would always go back out there and look. And no tree, right? No tree ever grew. And I always wonder, like, I want to go back or look it up on Google Maps and just see, do they have, like, an apple orchard? You know what I mean? Like, just, I wonder if those people just hate life. They're like, what the heck happened? All these apple trees everywhere. Um, so sometimes the seeds you sow, you may not harvest. You may not harvest. But you still sow the seeds. The final thought is this. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. That's a term we don't use very often, but I'm going to tell you where it comes from. Hebrews chapter 10. I love this whole passage. I was only going to use verse 39, but the more I read it, um, you know, I tell you all the time, read context. Don't just read one verse. One verse can, you know, it's great for a coffee mug. It may not be great for life. So read context. So Hebrews 10, 35 through 39 says this. Therefore, we don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need, you have the need of endurance. And that's what I feel like God was speaking uh, about our church, is that we have the need of endurance. We've done a really good job of showing up and being excited, but now we have the need of endurance, the need of faithfulness. We have the need to continue this for the rest of our lives. It's not just to show up one time and be happy and have a, have a good sermon and, a, and three songs and go out and, and, and with a smile on our face. No, 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 no. It's about faithfulness. It's about the long haul. It's about the times when you come in here and, and you're going to be hurt and you're going to be broken. It's about those times when you don't want to come to church because something's happened at home or something happened at your job and you don't want to see people. But listen, the Bible says we continue to show up. We continue the life of faith because there's people here that love us, right? So you have the need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37, four, and he quotes um, he, he's quoting someone here. He says, yet for a little while and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, he's quoting, he's going to quote two different passages from the old Testament. He's just kind of lumping some stuff in here together. And he's basically saying, if you shrink back, if you back up on your faithfulness, then, then God, God doesn't have any pleasure with that. God doesn't like that. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. I love that. I love that. It's a proclamation. He's saying God doesn't like it when people shrink back. But we're not those kind of people. At Gateway Family Church, we're not the kind of people that shrink back. Just because the Bible says something that I don't like, I still live it out anyway. Just because things aren't going my way, I don't shrink back. I don't back up. I continue to move forward. We're not those kind of people who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith there means faithfulness. He could have said, but those who are faithful and preserve their souls. Jesus said in Matthew 24, uh, verse 10, he says, Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. One last verse. 
And I don't have it on the screen for you because I added it during worship. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus was faithful, and he's calling us to a life of faithfulness. He's calling us to a life of being steadfast and immovable. What's going to happen if somebody passes away? What's going to happen if I get a bad doctor's report? What's going to happen if I lose my job? Does that mean I'm just going to go home and I'm going to drink myself into a stupor to try to forget my pain? Does that mean I'm going to go and I'm going to just, just eat my feelings away? Does that mean I'm going to go home and I'm going to be abusive to my family and my friends because I'm so angry and I'm so upset? No, 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 no. no. It means I'm going to be faithful that no matter what circumstance happens, I'm going to continue this life of faith. What about whenever I become famous and, and, and I'm, a, I'm a TikTok star and I'm a YouTube star? What, what about whenever I'm the, the, the best doctor and I get all the awards? What about when I make all the sales and I get all the awards for being the best salesman in the company? What, what, what's going to happen then? Am I going to be prideful and am I going to be arrogant? Am I going to give up on God? No, no, no. I'm going to remain faithful and I'm going to remember that it's God that put me in that position, not me that put me in that position. I'm going to remain humble and I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize because God's got a calling for my life. He's got a destiny and a purpose for me. He's got people whose lives depend on me to be there, to love them, to touch, and to minister to them. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? It's not about one victory. It's about a lifetime of faithfulness. I was writing down some things today that I wanted to pray, and, and I'm going to dismiss you today. And, and, um, and as we dismiss today, we're going we're gonna to dismiss with prayer. And so uh, we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue to give you guys the opportunity to pray. There's nothing scary. If you, if you need prayer today, no one's looking at you funny. We preached about this a couple of weeks ago. We're here to help you. And so if you need prayer for anything, anything, we want to pray with you about that. You got anxiety, you got fear. What are you being distracted by? Maybe you're saying, Gabriel, there's some areas in my life that are distracting me from what God wants to do. We want to pray with you about that. We want to stand with you. So as I pray over you real quick, just this quick prayer, then we're going to dismiss you to come down for prayer. I'm going to get my mom and dad. You guys come over here. Perry, you come right here. And and so here's what I was praying this morning. I was just thinking about us and what we need. And and here's my prayer. Why don't we close our eyes this morning? Everybody just bow your heads for a second. and, and, And let's just think about this prayer. This is the prayer I prayed for you and me today. And it's very simple and very easy. The prayer is this. Lord Jesus, help me today to be determined, not distracted. Help me to be faithful to your word, to your calling, and not to my feelings. God, today, I don't just give you part of my life. I give you all of my life. Make me steadfast and immovable. In the face of temptation, in the face of distraction, in the face of fear. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day, God. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for my friends and family that have shown up today to worship you. God, I thank you that today, even though we came in this room, God, we may have some issues and problems. We may have some areas of our life that are distracting us and drawing us away from what you've called us to do. God, maybe we're distracted by our past or our traditions. Maybe we're being distracted by our friends or or God, whatever it is that's distracting us, God, I pray today that you would help us to keep our eyes on the prize, keep 
our eyes on the calling of God on our life. Help us, God, to stay faithful to your word, faithful to your calling, God. God, help us to stay faithful to our relationship with you. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us this week. I pray that as we walk out those doors today, that we would walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. God, that we would not allow our desires to drive us, our feelings to drive us. But God, we would be driven today by the Spirit of God leading us and guiding us. In Jesus' name, amen.